Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits that can make you happier. Here on the show today is my wonderful friend, Jay Fields, who also happens to be one of the leading somatic therapists in the nation. And Jay is so many things, it's hard to even read your bio, but she's <laughs> a educator, coach, and author. Um, Jay teaches this this principles of embodiment, social and emotional intelligence, individuals and organizations. She's been doing this for 20 years and she's been helping people have their own back at work and life and grounded, playful, empathetic, and intelligent. Um, And one of the things that Jay does is she teaches on LinkedIn. She has a beautiful LinkedIn um, profile where you can take her courses. She has work you can buy and she is a coach. So we can talk about all of that at the end. Um, And Jay's a repeat guest. So thank you for being here again. And you you may know if you've been listening to the show that I have all of my guests actually say a habit that they want to have be the practice or talk about for the show. But I suggested to Jay after receiving one of her emails that we talk about this subject of grief as a habit for happiness, which seems a little bit inverse of what we normally think. But I believe grief is a habit for happiness, and I'm having Jay on the show to tell us why and how we can practice grief to make ourselves happier. So welcome, Jay. Thanks for having me back, Lee. This is an honor. It's good to see you. And yeah, I love that you reached out to me based upon that newsletter that I wrote and said, "This this is resonating with me. Let's chat about this. Yes. And really quick, if people want to sign up for Jay's newsletter, where would you go? Yeah. So my website is, or, or where they sign up is j-fields.com backslash join. So we can maybe put that in the show notes or something. We'll put that in the show notes and Jay's uh, newsletter and her emails are just so wise beyond measure. But this subject of grief crossed my desk in one of these emails and I stopped in my tracks because I've had two friends that have died in various ways over the past six weeks. And it's really affected me in a way, and I know this, Jay will tell us in a second, that I have been thinking about my life completely differently. And grief has been something I've talked about my whole life, but how we lean into grief and how we experience it somatically is really important. So Jay, tell us more. Well, it's, you know, it's, as I was writing this piece, so the, the newsletter that you're speaking to came about because I had asked my community, what do you want me to write about? And a number of people wrote back that they wanted me to write about grief. And I remember being like, well, why are they asking me that? (laughs) That's not what I normally talk about. And what on earth could I possibly say about this? And then similar to you, I I had two people who I knew uh, within a week of one another pass away earlier this summer. And it just put me into that place that death puts one into where you start thinking about like, well, gosh, these are people who are my age. And what does that mean for me? And so I started thinking about what are the ways that I have faced grief, experienced grief in my life. And I wrote about that because I was like, I don't have any answers, but I can at least talk about it. And um, 
one of the pieces that I talked about was how different spiritual uh, traditions that I've been involved in have practiced deaths in them. For example, yoga has Shavasana, which is the corpse pose, which is, you know, this idea that you spend time completely disconnected from that which you identify as, you know, you kind of unplug yourself from everything that is quote unquote who you are and you you lie in the mystery of not knowing and so that was a practice I had but um one of the practices and the one that you said resonated with you was like really actually acknowledging how many deaths we go through in ways that aren't what we traditionally think of as deaths mm-hmm. um the like the death of being single when you get married mm-hmm. right but that's a dying process um, the death of a career when you retire, um, the death of uh, a life, a possible life path when you don't get the job or the relationship ends or whatever it is. And that these, all these ways that we lose things are ways for us to, to approach feeling loss. Because that's, what I think, what, to come back around to what you were just saying there is, I think what I heard you say is like, I think our culture is so cerebral and loss and grief and death is not anything you can understand Mm-mm. from your mind. So we're, we're like inept and bereft. Like, what do you do when the only way that you know to deal with things is cerebrally right. and this, this thing that you are, are experiencing in what's usually a pretty massive way is you can't touch it cerebrally. <laughs> you can't touch it cerebrally. So if you can't touch it cerebrally, what then? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, I think the first thing is to acknowledge you can't touch it cerebrally. Like, mm-hmm. because, you know, if, if you go and look at any of the literature on, on um, like the six stages of grief, you know, most of them, what is it? I Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, hope. And the one that I see the most in the, in the clients that I work with is the bargaining phase. Mm. The bargaining is like what you're doing when you're, you're, you're either trying desperately to keep an event from happening, Mm. something happening that would be sad, or you're going back and rehashing everything you could have done differently to make it be different. I've been there. I'm sure most people have. Right. Especially after you lose someone in your life who is, it was, you know, a painful loss, you start thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't say this, or I did say this, or if I'd only been at this point, this wouldn't have happened or, or a loss of a relationship, right? So, you know, I definitely, I've been divorced and I can say for anyone that's been divorced or had a long-term relationship that hasn't, has ended, there's definitely this idea of a part of yourself dies. And there was a lot of bargaining after that for me in that grief process. Yeah. And the bargaining, in addition to being cerebral, is is a form of trying to have control, mm-hmm. right? Control over something that's uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is me. I'm getting around to your answer about what do you do in terms of not being cerebral. But first, I want to say a couple more things about the cerebral thing, because I think it's, you know, this wanting to, in the bargaining and wanting to have control over what's uncontrollable, we're in what I call a childlike narcissism. And nobody likes being called a narcissist. And this isn't narcissism. We all are a little bit. We all are a little bit. A little bit. Childlike narcissism is is that like 
very young, naive belief that you have control over things you don't have control over. Mm. You know, a kid believes that if they, you know, step on a crack, break your mother's back, right? Like this kind of fear that sometimes grips a kid like, well, I can't do that because something bad will happen. Or if I, if I don't do that, something good will happen. And we really believe it as a kid because you don't understand that you don't actually have that much impact in the world. Wow. So I say all that to say one of the things to getting out of trying to deal with grief cerebrally is one to acknowledge it can't, you can't. And two, to really kind of look at it of this is this young, innocent, vulnerable part of you that just wished it had more control over the world. Mm. And and if you can treat it as such, can you find a little bit more warmth towards that part of you that is grieving? So the, the, the first part is like, can you understand, yes, this makes sense? If I can drop the fact that I have no control over this, then can I at least get to the place where it makes sense to me that I'm sad, I'm grieving? Mm. Because the first place in terms of feeling any feeling that's hard to feel that you have to start is with empathy. Of course, I feel this way. Of course, I'm devastated. Of course, I'm you know, I feel like my insides have been turned out outside of my body, like to just let it make sense that it's there. That's the first part to feeling. Yeah. And, and talk to me about, so someone may be listening and thinking, okay, well, I am grieving and I can't think myself through this process. So now I need to to grieve so that I can move past it. What are the resources you would offer? I know you've said Shavasana is a little death. What other somatic type practices could they do? Well, in terms of somatic practices, um, it's some of the like super basic pieces of like um, giving yourself a hug, Mm. you know, putting putting your hands on opposite shoulders Mm. or upper arms and actually just kind of, squeezing and feeling held and partly why this is so lovely a practice to do is that um, your brain doesn't distinguish between being hugged by another person and being hugged by yourself good well i love a hug so i'm gonna hug myself (laughs) right yeah there's just the sense of being embraced and held and i think you know one of the things that is so difficult about grief is it's a particularly lonely experience Mm. you know nobody nobody grieves in the in the same way that you do and um and because it's also something we don't tend to talk about it can feel like you're not held like literally like you're not held by anything Mm. um and the feeling of loss is also a feeling of kind of floating unmoored you know in in a new world where there's nothing to hold on to so just holding on to um, another thing kind of like that is um, standing with your back up against a wall mm-hmm. and like almost um, kind of bending your knees a little bit, not like chairs at back in gym and, yeah. <laughs> and high These school, squats. But like, right. Like bend, just bending your knees slightly. So there's a real sense of like the weight is leaning into back into the wall, not in your legs and to, to feel this is me being held. Um, 
laying down on the ground and feeling this is me being held. Um, all of those are, are ways to at least, uh, what's the word I want to say? It's like kind of setting the scene for being able to feel mm-hmm. because yeah. one, it gives you some visceral sensation. So you're back in your body and not just in your head, but two, it sends your brain and your nervous system a message. You are held. And when someone is held, you can let go of holding Mm. all that you hold. Yeah. And these are amazing suggestions. And there may be people listening who said grief is really hard for me to feel and, and sit with, right, which is what Mm. you're asking people to do in these practices. What's the cost of not processing our grief? Uh, Losing parts of yourself. Because if the, you know, the grief doesn't just metabolize on its own, it doesn't just disappear. It, it's as, as you know, you know, in your cells and your, your body. And if you don't look at it, feel it, process it, it's still living there. And in order to ignore it, you have to separate from a part of your experience, you know, mm-hmm. and eventually that's, you're just numbing to everything because as we all know, um, thanks to Brene Brown, like if you're going to numb one thing, you're going to numb everything Mm because you can't selectively. So the cost of it is um, greater loss, actually. And the sense of being disconnected from yourself and, and the people who are there in your life and things. And, but I, you know, I, I really, my, going back to what you said about people saying grief is hard and I want to just pause there and say grief is hard because I'm listening to myself right now going gosh um I call myself fields and I'm like gosh fields like (laughs) these these things you're saying seem really flimsy here you know like you're telling somebody who's grieving to just like give himself a hug or lay on the floor and it's like yeah it sounds freaking flimsy I get it because grief is immense and it is it it's like it's hard and to give yourself that if all you can do is just let yourself feel this is hard I hate how hard this is that's actually feeling something Hmm. it's naming it isn't it and part of naming it is the ability to process it because we can't once we've named it and feel it we actually can digest it to some degree um, and move forward because, you know, the whole reason why we're talking about this habit and actually being in the habit of processing your grief is so that we can find happiness. Because I think happiness, you know, at least in my life, um, for listeners know that I had a lot of trauma when I was nine, I had a mother who died by suicide and I didn't process that grief for a long time. And happiness was very elusive for me. And that trauma was stored deep in my body. And it wasn't until I worked with um, therapists like Jay, um, and I actually did EMDR that, that, which is, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you can tell us about EMDR, but move eye movement that really Mm -hmm. released a lot of that trauma that was stored in my body. That was so deep in there. I actually had blockages to my own happiness and my own ability to feel a lot of things. Um, it's that, that that numbing, numbing yeah. to everything and then there's there's no happiness that can exist in a numb landscape yeah it's really incredible and why do you think as a culture we 
at least here in the US, and mm-hmm. I know more so now in contemporary society, push away the idea or uh, make grief a cerebral thing or don't talk about grief. Why is it not popular? Whereas in other cultures, it's part of the cultural fabric. Gosh, I think there's many factors, but one that comes to mind is just, it's messy and we don't do messy well. Mm. Like, you know, I think Americans like to be very put together um, mm. or like that kind of like cowboy kind of, I can handle anything you throw at me sort of thing, like tough. Ah. Um, t- we're, we're tough and we're, we're like this weird combination of tough and like puritanical. So you don't, you don't get to be, messy you get you have to um make sure no one else is uncomfortable and feelings are uncomfortable and grief is maybe one of the most uncomfortable because it is um it is one in which either either as the experiencer of it or being around someone who's grieving it feels like there is nothing you can do to make it better Mm. and i think that's the other piece culturally is we don't our culture isn't very relational Mm. and in a truly relational relationship, you understand that your quote unquote job in relationship isn't to solve problems and make people feel better. Your job is to make them feel seen and heard and understood. And we don't do that well. And that's the only thing you can do when someone's grieving, you can't solve it. You can't fix it. You can't make it go away. Um, you can say, I'm here. I see you. Tell me more. I want to understand. And I don't think culturally we have skills that very strongly. Yeah, I don't think we we do. And it's something definitely with the resurgence of mental health awareness and all of these things, we can be better at holding space for other people and their grief because, you know, when I meet people, the first thing I think about is, you know, What's your trauma? What happened to you? Yeah. And I sound, you know, Oprah wrote that book with Dr. Perry. What happened to you? It's beautiful. But just that a lot of us in the US are walking around with all of this grief slash trauma in us, and it's unprocessed. And as a result, we are having, you know, dysfunctional relationships as adults. And yeah. it's really, the cost is great. It is great. And, you know, you saying grief slash trauma may spark something in my mind, which is, you know, trauma is one of one of the hallmarks of trauma is that is something that happens to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, it's, it is a situation that you have no control over. And that is also, that's why grief can be so traumatic is that typically the, the event that creates grief is oftentimes something you don't have control over, mm-hmm. not entirely. Um, and so I think that's where that link part of that link comes from that grief slash trauma is um, how to process through something that it wasn't your fault. There's nothing you could have done differently. This is, this is just, this is, mm-hmm. and it happened. And it happened in, in back to the naming, I'm just thinking about as you're talking, the, when I was probably after my divorce where some of the th- and COVID happened to probably th- three of the hardest years of my life. And, you know, notwithstanding my mother's suicide, it was just as hard, if not harder. 
And your email really helped me see that I was grieving. I was, there was a part of me that definitely died. And I remember feeling as if in that heart of that grief that I would never feel better. And something I kept telling myself as I talked to myself, <laughs> the third person, as you are earlier, I said, you know, lady, this too shall pass. You will feel better. It's just going to take time and you will feel better. And I just let myself be kind of, you know, in the muck, so to speak, and mm-hmm. um, know that eventually, you know, things would get better. And for anyone listening, if things don't get better, obviously see a trusted professional. But um, I think it's helpful to have a positive self-talk to let us know that it is a process that our bodies go through in the wallowing and that we will, you know, piece by piece, put ourselves back together. And it's part of our process of contraction and expansion. Yes. And I think the, you know, to also kind of um, balance that with, and this is, I feel like I'm really driving home this point and it's because it's important to balance that positive self-talk with, and it's not now and that's okay. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because I see the pe- the way that clients um, try to soothe themselves, whether it's grief or any, you know, um, fear or sadness, whatever, there's that, like, it's going to get better um, or you'll be okay. Mm. That's, that's like a, a really big way that we in the West soothe ourselves. You'll be okay. Um, but there's also a way that's a little anemic for actually healing the gaping wound that's happening in that moment. So to be able to say to yourself, you know, um, no matter what, I'm going to be here for me. Ooh, no matter what, I'm going to be here for me. That's beautiful. Yes. No spiritual bypassing is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way I always say this when I'm talking with a client is like, you know, when I'm teaching them to soothe themselves, I said, God forbid you had a friend come to you and say they had terminal cancer. You, you can't say to them, it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. It won't. But what you can say to them is no matter what happens, I'll be here for you. Mm. And because none of us ever knows if it's going to get better or in what capacity it will get better and when or whatever, the actual way to soothe ourselves in grief is not to say only it will get better, though that's that's a wonderful, sweet thing to say, but also to say, and no matter what and no matter how long it takes, I'll be here for me. Mm. And like that feels different. You know, talk it about a somatic. Feel different. It's, it's verbal, but it's a somatic way of being with yourself. And what I, the counterpart to that is that I think for most of us, especially here in, in the US, we tend to abandon ourselves in grief. Mm-hmm. We're not here for ourselves. And whether that's drinking or, you know, medicating or whatever it is, it's hard to feel our feelings. Yeah. It's very difficult. And, you know, we think they're going to kill us. At least I know they have felt that way to me. (laughs) They have absolutely felt that way for me. I can think of times where I've been sitting like on the dirt in the backyard, just like, just feeling like my insides are getting ripped out as I'm crying about something that's been deeply painful. And it's like, it does feel like dying in a way. It does feel like dying. It does. And it also feels exquisitely alive. Mm. It does. It does I mean, painful, but 
alive because I know I am someone who grew up very sensitive and also very um, well-trained to try to not show that. So I know how to numb and how to avoid. And I also know the, the experience of becoming someone who can feel and like realizing, God, the most awful feelings actually feel like love when you feel them. Because there's presence. If you're actually feeling something, whether it's something, you know, whether it's something like grief that's we tend to think of as yucky and horrible. If you're in the feeling with yourself, there is love because there's presence. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the somatic piece comes in where, you know, I talk about like being able to feel the weight of your body on the ground. And then like even, you know, kind of tapping your chest and being able to feel there is a body and inside there's insides. And when I'm feeling something, it's my body, my skin, my, my frame holding those insides that are energetic and emotional and all those things. And that there's an actual container for that. Cause mm-hmm. I think that feeling of like, I don't know if this is ever going to end or this might kill me if I feel this feels different. If you actually contain it in a way that you're like, this is my body feeling this. Yeah. Embody it really. Yeah. And make the space for it. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest things we can do in this life is, you know, bear witness to our own grief and aliveness and, and hold space for others and their, and their grief and aliveness. And ultimately, you know, being happy is also being able to feel alive and knowing all of our emotions from the from the hard to the to the joyful is really is the whole gamut and that's what we're here to feel all of those things their information right and happiness is comprised of all of those things Isn't it? it's amazing i love this line about feeling the most alive in your grief yeah which is it's, a gift doesn't make sense unless you've felt it but it's real it is. And Jay, thank you so much for your wisdom today. How can people find more of you? They can go to j-fields.com and what in LinkedIn, just search for Jay Fields. Yeah. And um, the, I have four courses on LinkedIn learning. So yeah. you can right. also find them through my website. There's a, a page on my website called courses and you can link to all of them there. Some are on managing emotions, some are on regulating your nervous system, some are on finding confidence, um, all these kind of embodied approaches to all these things are just very human. <laughs> Amazing. And you also lead a group, right? I do. It's called yours truly. And it's about essentially building the skill set you need to have in order to have a good experience of yourself in your relationships to actually like who you are and how you show up. Amazing. And how do people sign up to be in that? Uh, go to the, on my website, there's a page for yours truly and they apply. And then we see, yeah. Love it. Well, Jay, thank you so much for discussing the difficult topic of grief today, but the very alive habit, which is, has brought me so much joy talking about it with you and everyone else stay tuned for um, next week for another habit that could change your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. 
Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next time on the Voice America Variety Channel and discover how to find your new happy place. Oh,